back, everybody, to the Classic Rock Podcast. Well, there's only one place to start, really, this month. Just before we uh, literally put this show to bed, it was announced that Jeff Beck had sadly passed away just a few hours ago. Well, as you can imagine, the tributes have poured in overnight. And uh, after reading through a huge selection of them, over the last couple of hours. I think Jimmy Page actually sums it up the best, very succinctly and to the point. And he said simply, his technique was unique, his imagination was limitless. And I think that sums it up beautifully. His career, of course, hugely successful, a winner of eight Grammy Awards. One of the very select band of musicians, there were only nine others who were actually inducted twice into the Rock Hall of Fame. Paul McCartney, John Lennon, George Harrison, Eric Clapton, amongst the others. Anyway, let's head back for a brief moment to 1966 on a collection of musicians rock up at the studio. Jeff Beck, Jimmy Page, John Paul Jones, Keith Moon and E. Hopkins. It had all the makings of a super group, but it didn't quite happen for a whole load of reasons. Uh, one of which being they didn't actually have a singer. Steve Marriott was allegedly a target at the time, but he was with these small faces and they couldn't prize him away. Uh, an album as well was planned, but again, contractual obligations meant that that didn't happen either. And the only song to come from the day that was released was this. It was called Beck's Bolero, as you know. Uh, Jimmy Page, actually, in reminiscing about that day, said, uh, when the track was done, the producer just disappeared. Simon Napier-Bell, uh, it just didn't come back. He actually produced, by the way, the Yardbirds' Roger the Engineer album, or co-produced it. Uh, and that, then, was that. Nothing ever happened after. Obviously, Jimmy went off and put Led Zeppelin together. But we do have, of course, the legacy of that day. And here it is, then, in all its glory and splendour. It is uh, Beck's Bolero in memory of the legend that was Jeff Beck.
Beck's bolero in memory of Jeff Beck, who sadly passed away yesterday. Such a sad way, isn't it, to begin 2023? But he does at least leave us with a legacy of simply incredible music. So moving on, what else is in the show this month? Well, quite a lot, really. What do you get when you put Dean Castronovo, Journey, Ozzy Osbourne, Bad English, Joel Hoekstra, Night Ranger, Whitesnake, Iconic, the TSO, and Jeff Pilsen, Dokken, MSG, Dio, and Foreigner. What do you get if you put them into the studio? Well, you get, uh, I think, what is called in the trade a kick-ass band. And in terms of output, one of the albums that back in the day you'd be checking the opening time of your local record store on release day so you could get down there and get it home quickly. These days, of course, you're waiting for that one second past midnight when it's released and you can crank the volume up on whatever streaming engine has got it up first. Uh, and that's what we've got to look forward to. The new Revolution Saints lineup return with a new album and a new single. We will be talking to Joel Huckstra about this and we'll catch up with the uh, latest from the Huckstra Gibbs Campfire Tour, which is heading to the UK this summer. And there's more. Let's see who said that in that film. <laughs> and there's more. Much more. Uh, because rock music has thrown up some great stories in recent years of what you'd called, well, in sports parlance, a Cinderella story. Tales of an ordinary Joe who overnight went from, well, absolute unknown really outside his own circle before being thrust into the limelight, performing with a global brand name. Now, you might recall last year we spoke to Ronnie Platt, who was driving his truck before he got a call and he ended up taking over Kansas. Well, the story of uh, Tommy DiCarlo is a very similar one. He went from unknown uh, to stepping out on stage with one of the most iconic bands in rock history, Boston. We're going to be talking to Tommy about that moment. And he has his first solo album out as well. It's called Dancing in the Moonlight. And it's fantastic. And we're going to play some tracks from that and uh, hear the story from him. But let us begin. What was the best ever live album? <laughs> yeah, yes, it made in Japan. Yes, Strangers in the Night by UFO Kiss Alive, maybe Space Ritual. What about that by Hawkwind, which hits 50 this year? Uh, what about Quo Live? That was another great live. I mean, the list goes on and on and you know, it stimulates big debates, doesn't it? All the fans' websites get going when uh, there's a new poll coming out. They mobilise the troops to get out there and vote. I mean, what about Life, Life After Death by Iron Maiden as, as well? Another incredible live album. Uh, well, you do know where this is heading, of course, don't you? Uh, because uh, I left out the, the real best live one. Yeah. It's obvious, isn't it, really, when you sit down and think about it? Live and Dangerous by Thin Lizzy. 
and I can I can hear everybody out there squealing at the uh, whatever you're listening to on this, and you don't know what you're talking about. What it was all made in a studio? No, it wasn't, as we will hear. Uh, this month sees the release of a super deluxe version of Live and Dangerous. It's the original plus seven more bonus discs. And uh, uh, the original plus the seven include recordings taken from Three Nights of the Hammersmith Odeon. Uh, that was on the Johnny the Fox tour night in Philadelphia, one from Toronto and from the Rainbow Theatre in 1978. So Lionel Gorham, uh, Brian Robertson, of course, and Brian Downey on drums. Perhaps the greatest album live. Yeah, what do you think? So many great stories around the period about the band. There's a big feature this month in Classic Rock magazines. Funny, isn't it, how many times bands have had huge hits or songs that have almost gone on to define them, but they never saw the potential in it. It was the same uh, within this, I mean, remember Randy Backman, we had him on the show a few years ago talking about you ain't seen nothing yet and how had they had their way, that never would have even seen uh, the light of day. Same within Lizzie, the boys are back in town. They looked at it, it was the record company's uh, idea. Uh, and all these years later, people still talk about the album being 75% overdubs. Allegedly, this was a quote from Tony Visconti, who was doing the production work. Uh, I'd prefer the response from Scott Gorham. And uh, he was asked the question, and his reply was simply, uh, it's bullshit. All I know is that whenever you actually put it on your turntable, whenever you listen to it as a CD or a tape or whatever, you are immediately transported back in time. It just feels incredible. Um, and it does hold a special place for me because it was literally uh, the one of the first albums I ever bought. It was certainly the first live album I ever bought. I remember actually going into the record store and immediately being drawn to that incredible cover. And apparently Phil never wanted that to be the cover of the album. He always apparently insisted, listen, we're a band, it isn't just me. But the photograph was just so of that particular moment. It was the perfect fit. Last word on the subject goes to uh, Scott Gorham, and he simply said about this album, there isn't a damn thing I'd do to change it. It isn't perfect, but it is a piece of real history. So how about we start with a track from Live and Dangerous from this super deluxe edition. And uh, as for its title, well, I'll leave it at Phil to give it the intro. This is uh, a track from the fighting album. It's a little called Suicide. A bullet from a 45 Nobody cared, nobody cried Don't that make you feel sad A 
Lindsay from the brand new Super Deluxe Edition of Live and Dangerous. It is out this month and well worth any investment. We'll try and do a bit more on that in upcoming shows and hopefully uh, maybe speak to somebody from the band. And uh, Scott's hopefully uh, getting uh, Ricky Warwick involved in getting Thin Lizzy out on the road again. And it would be brilliant to hear those songs being played live again. Now, what was that question we posed earlier on in the intro? What do you get if you put Dean Castronovo, Joel Hookstra and Jeff Wilson in a studio? I think the term, as we said, was a real kick-ass band. Revolution Saints have evolved. And from the evolution comes this track from the upcoming album. And afterwards, I caught up with Joel and we'll hear from Joel Hookstra talking about the band and Hookstra Gibbs, the tour, which is upcoming in April. But first, Revolution Saints, the new Revolution Saints.
second track from the New Revolution Saints album, which is due out this year. We don't actually have a release date just yet, but as we would expect with such accomplished musicians, uh, this really is a masterclass of melodic hard rock. Anyway, I caught up with Joel last night and uh, I began by asking him how he came to be in the band. And of course, there is a bit of a sense of irony here as well, because like Whitesnake, he's taking over from his longtime friend and colleague, Doug Aldridge. You know, I'm not exactly sure who brought my name up first. Uh, you know, I, I obviously texted with Doug and like, you know, we kind of went uh, back and forth about, you know, what is, I just want to make sure he was cool if I was going to do it. And he said, well, I recommended you. <laughs> I went, oh, okay. Well, that certainly makes it easier because I just wanted to make sure that everything was going to be okay with him. He and I get on great. So, um, but, you know, may have been Frontiers, uh, may have been Doug to suggest me first. I'm not exactly sure, but, you know. Um, it's ironic though, isn't it really? Because you you followed Doug into Whitesnake as well. And, and that turned out to be a highly successful move. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, at first I wasn't crazy about, you know, the concept of following Doug into it. And I kind of thought, well, I mean, it's, it's Jack and Doug, but like in the end, the label um, was going to continue the brand regardless if I said yes or no. And I, you know, common sense wins out in the end. If you're a guitarist and you have the opportunity to work with Dean Castronovo and Jeff Pilsen, I mean, why do mm. you say no? <laughs> yeah. So. You, you guys have known each other for a, a significant time. I mean, your careers have intertwined. You've toured together and played together with, with different bands. Was the, the chemistry that you already had one of the main attractions? Yeah, I think that, you know, we were ironically all on tour together in 2011. So we actually did a tour together when I was with Night Ranger. And then uh, Mick actually went down and I was playing with Foreigner for a stretch in there, too. So that's really where we all got to know each other quite a bit was um, about, I guess, 11, 12 years ago now on tour. And uh, yeah, I, I you know, I've always gotten along great with both of those guys. And I think they're both amazing talents. And so, yeah, that's in the end, the, as a guitarist, I think, you know, you when you recognize like, well, this is an opportunity. This isn't something that I should take as a negative. I mean, uh, you know, necessarily. Uh, taking over for Doug in Whitesnake and then in Revolution Saints seemed a little, you know, a little like off-putting for me at first, at first mention, you know, but the more I thought about it, the more I thought, well, come on now. I mean, this yeah. is an opportunity to make records with these guys who I'm friends with and like, and um, they're amazing. And so. I was going to say, if you look at that catalog, you've got Bad English, Ozzy Osbourne, Journey, Night Ranger, Whitesnake, the TSO, Foreigner, Doc and MSG Deer. I mean, it would have been almost impossible to blend all of that experience together and not get a very high quality end product, which you have got. Oh, cool. Well, thank you so much. Um, yeah, the, it's nice to see that people are um, being open-minded to uh, receiving the concept of a new lineup. You know, obviously, you know, I not only have a lot of respect for Doug, you know, and um, all his musicianship and, and what a good guy he is, but Jack Blades, you know, is a guy who really um, 
was a mentor of mine. You know, I mean, when I joined Night Ranger, I was brand new in a lot of ways, just kind of breaking through. And, um, you know, I spent a lot of great time with Jack at, at his place recording albums and obviously touring around for seven years or so. So, you know, I have big respect for both of those guys and um, having the, you know, I just wanted to make sure that, you know, they were, they seemed okay with it. And, um, you know, it's nice to see that people are, are, uh, receiving the concept of a uh, revolution saints 2.0, if you will, you know, and. Yeah. Well, well, people or fans, I have to say, and I, and I can count myself in on this, not, not just this band, but any band would rather see the, the evolution of a, a project rather than its complete dissolution. And I personally, I think it's great to see. And I know bands have often talked about, and I know David uh, has talked about this, keeping the brand name going whilst mentoring people to come in and, and maybe take over and, you know, keep the flame going. Sure. Yeah. I mean, uh, look, that's all beyond me. I mean, that's really frontiers, you know, like making that decision to continue the brand and maybe Dean. Um, I, I don't I don't really know. I mean, all I know is I was offered the opportunity, you know, and for me, that was, you know, obviously that's you're flattered. Number one, that people ask. And then at first I thought, well, I don't know. I mean, you know, this is you know, I'm, I'm friends with Jack and Doug. I got to make sure that, you know, they feel cool about it and that this is all going to, you know, be well received. I don't want it to be some kind of situation where, um, you know, it's, it's perceived as anything other than Jack and Doug were ready to move on. And the the label wanted to continue the brand and, you know, they invite who they think is going to be the best fit. And so, um, you know, I'm, I'm definitely blessed to, uh, be, like the guy to get the call on that and, and work with two very talented guys. Three previous albums, all of which were, were well-received and charted uh, around the world. Uh, was there any um, thought or discussion, as to all intents and purposes, you are a new band, to alter the sound or to maybe move in a slightly different direction? Nothing discussed. I mean, it was really just kind of like, um, you know, this is, it's, it's very much driven by Frontiers. So, you know, they had basically most of the songs picked out. Oddly enough, one of the singles um, I wrote the guitar riffs for uh, when Alessandro Del Vecchio said, hey, do you have, would you have any ideas for the new Revolution Saints album? You know, and this is when Doug and Jack were still doing it. And so uh, I said, yeah, sure. And I, I you know, cooked something up. And uh, it's very funny now because, you know, when you submit something for a band and I picture Doug playing it on guitar, and then to end up like, you know, months later being the guy who's actually playing it in the band is kind of a funny feeling. But uh, um, yeah, I mean, I, it's I, again, it's just just glad to, to have the opportunity to do it and the fact that people are receiving it well. Um, but nothing discussed as far as like, let's change the sound up. Um, I think this is probably the first time where people are realizing that this is really Dean's project, you know, that Dean being the singer is really the you know, the front man. And um, so obviously continuing the brand sort of establishes that that uh, perception of it. it. It's surprising, isn't it? The people are still stunned in some cases. The Dean has got the voice that he has got. 
Well, it's just unfair, isn't it? I mean, you know, <laughs> if you're a normal mortal, you're, you're supposed to just be like, wow, you're one of the greatest drummers on the planet. And then when you hear him sing, you go, well, that's just unfair. I mean, how, how, <laughs> are, we, how are we supposed to compete with that, Dean? I mean, that's that's amazing. So, no, he's, he's an amazing talent and he's a great guy. Um, you know, we've gotten on. Really, I guess 2011 is really when we got to know each other, but maybe even Night Ranger doing some touring with Journey prior to 2011. I feel like we got to know each other a bit during those years as well. So, um, you know, he's always been good to me and uh, it's it's great to get an opportunity to make some music with him. But looking back over your last, your 12 months, um, you've been, you, well, you've said many times about your your. Um, attitude to work what continues to drive you uh, because usually once people reach a certain level of, of achievement and attainment sometimes the intensity begins to fade but you said in the past I push myself to the edge of insanity to make sure that I do the best I can um is that a direct quote? Uh, wow. Uh, yeah, I think it was. It was one of yours from a mind you, It was a good few years ago. It's you know that's uh, that's accurate. Um, I mean, I, I, my thing is to just try and be productive every day. Okay, so it's like it's a it's a daily thing to just say, hey, let's let me be productive every day, and that's what it boils down to. As like at the end of every day, have I done something to move myself forward? So it's surprising when you do that and just kind of dedicate yourself to like not the concept of wasting time. What you can achieve. Yeah, Jimi Hendrix once uh, made that famous quote, didn't he, when he was asked about what it would be like to, or what it is like to make a living playing guitar. Man, sometimes you're going to hate your guitar. It's never happened to you yet. Oh, no, that happens all the time. There's, <laughs> you know, so it's an interesting thing. I think what happens is most of the time you don't feel like picking it up, but then once it's in your hand um, and you begin – uh, you're in and you get in like a zone where nothing else matters. And that's like the only thing you focus on. But I don't know what that is. There should be some kind of psychological study on that. Like most musicians I know prior to gigs don't feel like doing the gig. Yes. Um, yeah. Hey, there's something about that. And that's people wouldn't believe that. They think we're all jumping at the bit. But for the most part, people are sitting backstage going like, oh, trying to summon the energy. But then once you get <laughs> out there, you have the time of your life and you have a great night and, um, and so I don't know why that is. You'd think we'd all be going, I can't wait to get out there. I can't wait to get out there because we're in our element, but pretty much. So it's, it's that way I find in general, just picking it up, you know, it's half the battles is getting it in your hands. Once it's in your hands, you're off and running. So what would be great to see here is you guys out on tour. I mean, of course, you know, there's schedules that you've got to work around. Everybody's got different schedules. And I was going to say, you know, you've got the, uh, Acoustic tour, Extra Gibbs, which is uh, imminent coming up in the next few months. But what are the chances of anybody seeing uh, Revolution Saints and doing a live show? Yeah, thanks for mentioning a tour, Brandon. We'll be doing a tour of the UK and Ireland, uh, April 11 through 23. So, you know, dates are going up online as we speak, so people can check those out. And, um, you know, that's nice. It's like an opportunity to come hang with us in an intimate venue where I'll have an opportunity to say hello, et cetera. Um, but, you know, I'm definitely open to the concept of playing live shows at Revolution Saints. I think as we see a lot of the... Um, legendary bands retiring you're going to see the importance of some of these quote-unquote project bands move up 
um, where you can still see some of us that were a part of these bands um, to varying degrees, um, still up on stage, uh, you know, playing the representing the um, era and representing the sound of music that people enjoy. So, um, yeah, I'm definitely open to doing some live dates with Revolution Saints. I think it'd be great. The Hookstra Gibbs gigs, the acoustic shows in, in the UK, and a lot of people might not know how that um, came about. Uh, you got together, didn't you, uh, during a Monsters of Rock cruise back in, in 2016, and it's been a sort of an on-off thing since then. Yeah, we kind of just kind of filled holes in our schedules with those, you know, over the last handful of years. I think this yeah, began, yeah, six years ago now, seven years ago. So um, Brandon's a terrific guy and he's a very talented guitarist and vocalist. And, you know, we get on great together. And these are just like an opportunity for us to get out and fill gaps in our schedule and do something cool and productive. And, and um, you know, I, I still enjoy playing those that style of gig um it's not like once you get to the arena or something arenas you think well i'm never going to play any any small gigs again i i like that personally because the that's where you find out who the diehard fans are and you usually see them at those you know they want to be able to come say hello and hang out and and that's you know if you're like me and you enjoy the fan support that's a great thing and it is literally just the two of you isn't it no crew no band it's the two of you with guitars yeah on stage yeah yeah that's it no crew nothing we just you know go out and like do it on our own and um so you know it's fun it takes it it takes you back in a way to like you know the early days and playing smaller places but um obviously having achieved a little bit of notoriety with some of the, the the bands that i've been a part of and whatnot it's also like an opportunity to connect with some of the most rabid fans the people that really want to meet you and say hello and um, so, you know, it, they're fun. I have a great time. The song catalogue, um, plenty to choose from me. I mean, Whitesnake's entire catalogue has been done pretty much, hasn't it? The Starkers in Tokyo and Unzip, that's been done acoustically, but Poison as well, uh, Devil City Angels. Uh, and you're doing tracks, I assume, from the 13 albums as well. So how do you go about choosing it? Or, and do you keep it the same every night? Or will people see and hear different things? Yeah, it's a mixture of Brandon's solo stuff, his stuff with Devil City Angels, you know, my stuff from Joel Hoekstra's 13, and obviously White Snake, and obviously Brandon's affiliation with Poison, you know, filling in for Brad and kind of being their backup guy. Um, you know, we play some of the Poison stuff, um, albeit quite uh, revamped and sounding a little bit, a uh, little bit different than their original versions. Um, but yeah, you get a nice, uh, and then just some cover songs, you know, just some songs that we like and. Uh, so it's a nice mixture of that and storytelling and casual hang. Yeah, it's an increasingly popular genre, this, by the way, the the spoken word. And the the fans like to hear the stories as much as they like to hear the music as well. Um, yeah, I think so. You know, I think that they get to see you in a different setting, especially myself. I'm not usually at the microphone talking between songs on any of my gigs. So I think it's like for a lot of people that have followed me as a guitarist, it's the first opportunity they get to see me up on stage in any kind of casual setting. And lastly, then, uh, for the remainder of the year, because I was going to mention Iconic because that was a fantastic album, by the way, uh, out last year. 
So you've had Iconic. Is there any plan for moving forward with that? Is there anything perhaps on the agenda with David? Now he's back to um, full health. Uh, so anything on the White Snake calendar? Um, so regarding Iconic, I believe so. Um, I don't know that there's necessarily been anything official announced, but I think the general understanding was there was going to be, you know, more than one record. I think we all kind of went into it going like, yeah, like, we're going to you know, do this for a bit. Um, and then regarding Whitesnake, I mean, I think, you know, David's feeling well. I spoke to him uh, the other day and um, but, you know, we're just kind of holding pattern as far as what his plans are and what he wants to do. And, um, you know, there's there's far as I know, there's nothing booked or anything like that. But, um, you know, you never know. Well, that was Joel Hoekstra talking to me literally a few hours ago, actually. Uh, Hoekstra Gibbs, the tickets are on sale and they are moving rather quickly. So get online because these are more intimate venues, smaller venues, are not arenas. So uh, hopefully we're going to get to see Revolution Saints as well. Uh, this is too good a band for that not to happen live, really, isn't it? And uh, thinking about who they could package with, I suddenly thought, hmm, Dead Daisies and Revolution Saints. Now, that'd be a night to see and a night to remember. Uh, time to move on as we're uh, moving into a completely different realm. Tommy DiCarlo, lead vocalist with Boston. Now, he's got a story to tell and a new album out. It is called Dancing in the Moonlight. We're going to be hearing from Tommy in a second, but let's get a taste of this new album. And here is the title track. It is called Dancing in the Moonlight. <laughs>
all those years on from sitting at that upright piano in your parents' front room as a kid, here you are with your own debut solo album, Dancing in the Moonlight. Now, the previous Lightning Strikes uh, twice from a couple of years ago was with the Dicado band. Why was the decision made for you to go solo on this rather than do another Dicalo album? Well, um, uh, Serafino, the, um, you know, the, yes. the, the head of the label, he had uh, kind of a vision. After we did um, our original uh, debut album, Lightning Strikes Twice, and um, he had a vision for uh, for me to to do a solo album with uh, front some of Frontier's uh, staff, the writers, other musicians, and um, <clears throat> you know, for me personally, I was I was flattered by that. Um, of course, I would have loved to have had the uh, Di Carlo full band in on this record. But, um, uh, you know, that intrigued me to do something with a group of different musicians, especially from the label, because I knew that they were really going to be a top notch group of of writers and musicians. So, um, you know, I think there will be another DiCarlo release. But in the meantime, I, I thought this was something nice because I already released the DiCarlo album. That was our debut album. So I was very excited about that. <clears throat> Excuse me. But this was just a little something different. And um, and it turned out fantastic. I mean, I couldn't be more thankful for the opportunity, uh, you know, from Frontiers to record uh, another album with them. So, you know, that really was a blessing in and of itself. The, the writing process is being different this time around as well, because you're communicating a lot uh, via email with the guys over at Frontiers, obviously being Italy-based. Uh, how difficult or easy did you find that to accommodate? You know, Tim, I got to tell you, this was probably one of the easier um, projects that I've been involved with uh, for this particular project, simply because all of the writing was done by Frontiers. The, the record was basically ready to go. It just needed my vocals. And that is something we, uh, I, was so, I was so pressed for time with other projects that I really wasn't gonna have time to, to write. So they worked it out to where their writers and their producers put the album together. And once it was all set, they, they handed it off to me and of course i i got to work on the vocals so i really have to you know uh, tip my hat to frontiers uh, especially their um you know their writing staff and their musicians um alessandro del vecchio in particular because he did such a great job writing and producing the album yeah he did a fantastic job now this this genre of hard melodic rock aor has been around for decades and it's not easy to pull off producing an album that although it's got its roots in the 70s and the 80s is fit for 2023 so as you get not only classic rock fans but you keep the genre alive for a new audience a new younger audience but that has uh, that's been done uh, with this because it does fit today yeah, that's true. Uh, the key is um, the younger generation. 
um, turning them onto something that otherwise they may not have had an opportunity to hear um, or to listen to. And, um, uh, you know, this particular melodic classic rock is, uh, you know, it's been around, like you say, it's been around a long time. But, you know, given what's being played on the radio these days, it's, it's really rather strange because you've got to search for this music. It's not, it's not, you know, up in the front like it used to be. Yeah. And um, it's, uh, I really take a lot of pride in um, doing a good job to bring this music, you know, to keep this music relevant, you know, in the lives of not only people who listened to it back in the day, but to the younger generation. And um, one of the great things about uh, live performances that I have been a part of is seeing the younger kids come out with their moms and dads and, and, and they are turning their kids onto this music. So, um, you know, just just uh, again, it's um, it's a wonderful it's a wonderful genre. Um, it's not again, it's not in the forefront like it used to be. But I think, um, you know, between a lot of great musicians and, uh, and bands that are still out there doing it today, we're you know, doing our best to keep this music uh, going here in, you know, here in the in 2023. So the reception has been exceptionally positive. For, for dancing in the moonlight. It's funny, isn't it? When you read, because you can go online and you can hear and watch what people are talking about, but it's funny how people hear different things. Some bands saying, hey, you know, this is, uh, this is as close to a Boston album as we're ever going to get now. And others say, I don't need Boston in this at all. I can hear a little bit of sticks in this, but I can't hear any Boston. <laughs> <laughs> so where do you where do you sit with it was was there a plan to purposely not make it sound like a boston album because the press release said it's going back to the classic sound of uh, third stage and walk on well you know i think for me no um again i didn't have anything to do with the writing and producing of the record um so that probably would be a better question for frontiers uh but as far as being compared to, you know, a Boston album, I mean, that's, that's, uh, you know, what an honor, you know, I mean, it, it's those records. I mean, the, the music that Tom Scholes produced, uh, you know, wrote, engineered, recorded, you know, back in the day. Uh, in third stage specifically was one of my favorite albums. Yeah. And um, I think it was the one I waited longest for, but um, I, I, it's, you know, it's an honor to be mentioned in the same breath of a Boston album. And um, although it wasn't, uh, you know, it, it wasn't um, anything that I did uh, or I, I don't think the label did anything to purposely go in that direction, but, it's such a fun genre to um, to record. Yeah, it's you know, there's there's so much you could do, and um, you know, again, if if someone compares it to a Boston album, then um, uh, you know, I'm flattered, and I, that's really all I can say. It's just uh, very flattering to be mentioned in the same you know in the same breath as as a Boston album. So, has this given you more personal? satisfaction knowing that you can put together an album of this quality obviously you've had yeah the help of the guys from frontiers but it is a very very high quality product and it's your name that is is on it has that given you 
more personal satisfaction than getting up on stage and performing with Boston? Yeah, I would say that it has um, in a different way uh, because performing live is a kind of a different animal altogether. Um, doing something in the studio is, uh, you know, is different. Um, you know, you can take a little more time and uh, you can fix your mistakes. Whereas in a live show, it is what it is. If you mess something up, it is what it is. You know, you don't have a second chance, at least not during that show. But um, it really has, it makes me feel very good to know that um, I have, uh, you know, at least Frontiers saw in me something that they felt was, you know, worthy of a second opportunity with with dancing in the moonlight. So um, I'm very thankful again for that. But um, yeah, that, that was, again, it's just, um, uh, yes, personal satisfaction. Absolutely. It makes me feel good to know that, you know, 15, 20 years ago, I would have never dreamed of having an opportunity to release a, an album. Um, you know, my first solo album through a major record label, it, it was, wasn't even a thought because it was, it was something that I thought was so far out of reach that it would never happen. It is one of those rare albums that doesn't dip in the middle. It doesn't have that sort of, you know, that great start, that thumping great start where you get three fabulous tracks and then you get that dip and then it comes back at the end. These are all of a similar level right the way through. And in some respects, it maybe finishes stronger than it starts. You know, I'm thinking in particular of, of Spread Your Wings and Fly. You know, when we started this project, Frontiers would send me one or two songs at a time uh, to record. And um, which I was, you know, uh, I was able to do right here in my home studio, which was great. But with every song that they sent me, like you just said, Tim, I waited for that lull too. I waited for that that drop off point where, well, these two were great. Let's hear the next one. And it really was one right after the other, and it was just, uh, you know, just a wall of power that came across on every track. That was, it, you know, it had its own, um, it had its own special vibe, and it was. Uh, it was for me to sing. It was, I couldn't wait to get the next track. I mean, that's how excited I was after every, every track that I recorded, you know, they'd send me, they'd send me dancing in the moonlight. And I'd be like, great. I can't wait to hear the next one. And, and then they'd send, you know, the game is on. And it was, uh, you know, beyond forever. Just one after another was just for a singer. It was, uh, I had a field day with that. Did you think, by the way, I have to say that I did, when I saw the track listing and the album uh, details were coming out, I thought, oh, we've done a cover of Thin Lizzy. <laughs> <laughs> I never thought of that, but yeah, that's pretty cool. Uh, so you've done all the hard work. You've, you've got this great product out there. The big issue today is to actually get it to somewhere that they're going to play it, that is going to open it up to a wider audience. How, how do you approach that? Or how does the, you know, how do you in conjunction with the record company approach that to make sure as many people actually hear some of the great stuff that is on here as possible? Yeah. Well, you know, for me, all I can do is word of mouth. I can do social media. I could do interviews such as we're doing here. Um, but, uh, again, frontiers really, um, you know, they, they take the, uh, 
they take the torch and run with it. And they have a, a you know, just a, a fantastic track record of being able to reach a lot of people. And um, it's True. too bad that there isn't, you know, radio like it used to be because I, I told my son now, even going back to lightning strikes twice, our first album, you know, I mean, certainly I'm proud of that album. I wrote, you know, all of the songs on it, but you know, there's a couple in there that are kind of filler songs. I have to be real with myself, you know, but there are a few, a few gems on that record that I really like. And um, I told my son, Tommy Jr. I says, you know, if we wrote a couple of these songs back in, you know, the late 70s, early 80s, they would have been in rotation on the radio. At least that's what I believe. So it's it's really too bad that, um, you know, the, uh, you know, uh, you know, radio stations aren't as heavy with this stuff as they once were. And, um, you know, because I think I, I think it misses you're, you're missing a lot of great music, not only. Um, you know, stuff that I've done, but other artists have done that. That's just amazing that it, it's too bad that it doesn't get on mainstream radio. So it doesn't get on the radio, but you can certainly get out and play it. What are the oh, yeah. what are the plans for you to get out and tour with the band and uh, take some of the music to a live stage? Yeah, well, that's something that I'm really hoping happens. Um, again, I think that is going to depend on how well the record is received. Um, of course, Frontiers is going to have a, you know all the numbers on that. But um, yeah, the the hope is to be able to get uh, you know get out on the road and perform this music live. And um, I think it's to me, it's going to be the type of music that once people hear it, I think they're going to want to hear it again, just as I did when I recorded it. Has Tom heard it yet? Uh, <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> if he have did, you not sent him a CD? <laughs> <laughs> a signed one? <laughs> yeah, right. No, I don't know. If, if he has, I wouldn't know it. But I do tend to believe that Tom would be proud of any musicians that have been in his band that have gone out and done stuff on their own and, um, and really not leaned on him for, you know, for that. And, um, I um I admire Tom. He is a uh, one of my uh, biggest inspirations. And um, uh, the funny thing is, through the opportunity that he gave me back in 2007 to come up on stage and perform with the band Boston, that has resulted in so many other opportunities. And truthfully, Tim, I would be talking to you today if Tom didn't give me that opportunity back in 2007. And, and at least that's what I believe. Struggle. 
to reach our deepest love. Because you know, when you look back at your your remarkable story, which literally begins with you going around to your mother's house, you're looking after your pet uh, after their pets while she's away, right. and you end up with the you know playing on the Casio keyboard. 
you know, the, the rearrangement of the song, A Man He'll Always Be, Coming Home, Your Daughter Hearing It, uploading it onto MySpace, and then the story begins. Do you ever sit and think, if I'd have woken up that morning with a, a sore throat or uh, I'd had a puncture or a flat on the car and I hadn't made it there, none of this would have happened? I know. I know. It, it's really crazy. Um I do tend to believe in fate. Uh, I think, uh, you know, uh, you know, things happen for a reason. And um, again, you know, I look back as a, as a kid and um, one of my, you know, one of my, um, you know, most vivid memories is sitting in the backseat of my parents' station wagon playing or singing along with songs that I heard on the radio. And then I remember I was in, um, I remember I was in sixth grade. And this is probably one of my strongest memories uh, musically. Um, I was in choir class and there were two groups of students. There was the Sopranos, which was, I, I was in that group. And then there was the Altos. And each of us had a different part to sing in this one particular song that the music teacher was uh, working with us on. Her name was Mrs. Schmidt, just a beautiful music teacher. So when she brought us all together to sing it together and put our parts together, I remember I got this amazing chill in my body. And I remember looking around at my classmates, thinking to myself, did any of you feel that? You know, did any of you feel what I just felt? Wasn't that amazing? But of course, I didn't say that. It was just something that I felt. And um, I, I get that way today. You know, with music, it, it's uh, it, it's. It's uh, it can be a very emotional um, uh, thing at times, but it also can be very inspiring and uplifting at times. So um, I don't think I could ever, uh, you know, be more thankful for the gift of music, be it as a performer, uh, a musician or a listener. That moment when you're sat at home and that email, you know, ping comes up and, and you look at it and it's it's an email from um, Tom Schultz's wife or the, the, the Boston camp. I mean, did you initially think, right, somebody's winding me up here. <laughs> this, this isn't real. You know, um, how did you contain yourself oh, wow. after you've got that? Because if it had been anybody else I know, if it had been me, if it had been, I, I, I'd have been running around in, in, in a daze, not knowing what to do. I'd have, I, I wouldn't have known whether I was going out to, to, to get drunk that night or to phone all my friends. What did you actually do? Well, I didn't think it was a prank because I didn't tell anybody about my music. Most, I was a closet musician. Most people had no clue that I did music. So there wasn't anyone <laughs> that was out there that could prank me and say, oh, guess what? Let's send Tommy an email and, and prank him. Um, so I knew it was legit from the minute I seen it. But um, I also knew that uh, from the moment I read that email, I knew that I had uh, at least an opportunity to really change uh, change the direction of my life. Uh, and, and it certainly has. And uh, again, it's something that I, uh, you know, that, <clears throat> that opportunity from Tom was, uh, you know, it was, I, I just, I don't think I could ever thank him enough for, for that. Was it actually true that he had no idea 
that you weren't a full-time musician and that you'd never step foot on, you know, a real live stage in front of a, a live audience? Yeah, you know, um, I, I remember that part of the conversation because after uh, after Tom called me and we spoke for a few minutes, he said, um, so I have to guess you're in a cover band. And honestly, Tim, I was a little hesitant to answer that question because I thought, gosh, if this guy knows that I've never sang in a band before, <laughs> he ain't, ain't going to have an interest in me. But I, I was like, you know, I got to be honest. And I says, Tom, I says, I got to be honest with you. I said, I've never even been in a band before. <laughs> he just started laughing. And I can remember him saying, wow, wait till I tell Gary. And that was uh, Gary Peel, of course, longtime Boston guitarist. And the moment that you walked out on stage, how did you prepare for this mentally? But to do it on stage with the actual band at what is quite an emotional time as well, because yeah. Brad Delp had, had recently passed, and this was the, the, the tribute, right. to walk out there and and perform, you know, how, how did you build up to that, to that day and that moment? Well, you know, Tim, I don't think I ever prepared. Um, till this day, I don't, I think back and I didn't know how to prepare. I mean, having, you know, never done anything like that before how could you prepare for it i i didn't know all i knew is i could sing and i knew the songs and of course i didn't know the band i just knew of them but um one of the one of the funny things about that particular night was they had a sound check and they had a couple of uh technical issues so they never got around to me singing at sound check which i was really happy about <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't want to do that. I just wanted to go do the show and not have any more, you know, um, I was, you know, I, it, I didn't want to have any extra added stress before I actually sang. So for me to sit there and watch, you know, all the musicians that were part of this event uh, rehearse and go through their sound check, I was, you know, I was in awe. It was like I had the best seats at a concert. It was like fantastic. but. I never really, I don't think I prepared. I mean, having, you know, sang live now and been, been performing for, you know, nearly 15, 16 years, uh, there's definitely a way to prepare and get your voice ready for, for, for shows, for live performances. And I didn't have a clue back then. And um, all I did was get up and sing the songs. And thankfully, you know, Tom uh, liked what he heard. This must have been an immensely proud moment for your family and for your friends as well. What can you remember what the reaction was when you, you came off stage and and you you finally get home? Oh yeah, I mean, well, there was a, a news article written uh, in one of the Boston newspapers and that was really a big thing, you know. And um, uh, you know, having um, my place of work where I worked at the Home Depot, they had a, on the bulletin board, they had a really nice spread, a nice layout, and then they had like a party, and it was really, <laughs> yeah, it was, <laughs> it was pretty special. How, tell me, how did you cope then? Because you, you've gone from being 
you know, relatively unknown outside of your your own circle to being a very well-known quantity because everybody wants to know about you. They want to know things about you. They want to know, you know where you've come from, what you've done. They want to know everything about you. Some people find that very difficult to to deal with. How did you find it? Well, I always stayed very grounded. Um, I think, uh, you know, one of the things that I've, uh, you know, one of the things I've learned over the years going out with uh, touring with the band Boston has been how down to earth they all really are. And, you know, people may label you as a rock star, but as long as you don't label yourself as the rock star, I think you kind of keep yourself in check. And, and that really works well for me. I, I remember in an interview once, Tom Scholz has said, the rock star life is a life I step into for just a few minutes and then I step back out. And I kind of look at that the same way. I mean, um, I, I love being a part of the music community, especially at this level. But I also look at it as I, I am just a part of it. You know, I'm not, I'm not you know, the, the music world doesn't revolve around me, nor does it uh, dictate my life. I mean, it's a big part of it. But um, it certainly is nice to go out and be recognized. Um, that will happen from time to time. But what people take away from that is when they come up and what means more to me is if they come up to me and tell me, wow, you got a great voice or a great singing voice, or I saw the show last night, it was fantastic. Sure, that means a lot to me. But re- what really means a lot to me is um, when people come up and, and, you know, compliment on my family or my kids or, mm. you know, my wife or, you know, what a, you know, geez, what a, what a wonderful family you have. That's that, you know, to me, that that means a little bit more than, you know, the, you know, the accolades that you might get as a musician. So lastly, then, uh, plans for the, the future. So we've got the new album. Hopefully there'll be uh, some live dates with that. Uh, is uh, is there a continuing hope that you might uh, record something again with Boston, maybe play again live? You know, I would certainly love that. Uh, but again, Tim, that is, uh, you know, Tom is... Um, he would be the one to, to, to answer that question. Uh, of course, you know, if my phone rings and it's the Boston camp and they want to go out on tour, certainly I would be thrilled to get that phone call. But, um, you know, until, uh, until that comes, maybe it'll never come. But if it does, I'll, uh, I'll continue to, to, to do my own music and to keep myself uh, prepared Again, you know, you can't shut this, uh, you can't shut your your music down uh, when you're not performing. Like, you know, with Boston, I'm thankful that I have other things that I can do to keep me busy because it keeps me, you know, it keeps me in good shape. Musically, I'm ready to go. And, um, uh, you know, it's it's really been just a wonderful blessing. Um, If Boston tours again, I certainly would love that. And I know the fans would really love it. Yeah. But, um, you know, if they do, they do. If they don't, you know, I'm, I'm again, more than thankful for the time that, that I did get to go out with the band and, and enjoy that experience. Well, that was Tommy DiCarlo talking from his home in New York City about his new album. It is called Dancing in the Moonlight. 
and it is out now. Hopefully we'll see him and maybe even Boston on the road this year. Now, if you were watching Jimmy Kimmel's show this week, you'll have seen Doug McKagan, Chad Smith and Josh Klinghoffer join Iggy Pop on stage for a raucous version of Frenzy, which is one of the tracks from his excellent new album. It is called Every Loser, which is out now. You might have seen him in the news saying in the last couple of weeks, look, I'm not, I'm not doing the stage dives anymore. Well, small price to pay, I think, really, for as long as he continues to get out there and perform and produce great music like this. Here is Frenzy. That is it for this month. My thanks to Joel Hoekstra and Tommy DeCarlo for joining me. And to conclude this month, we are going to go back to Jeff Beck, who sadly passed away in the last 24 hours. 
And to play us out, we're going back to 1967. And this was the second single that he released, following on from Hi Ho Silver Lining. This was actually written by Graham Gouldman, who'd written uh, Heart of Soul and other stuff of the Yardbirds, and of course went on to uh, set up his own band called uh, 10CC. It was also produced by uh, Mickey Most. It wasn't, though, released in the US. It was thought that the subjects matter was too English and they wouldn't understand it. Tally man. And in, in case you don't know what a tally man is, I still don't, uh, it, it's basically somebody who comes around to collect um, money that is owing and uh, tries to flog you things that you perhaps don't want and keep you in debt. You know, the usual thing. Uh, anyway, here it is. And uh, that is it from me, Tim Cable. I hope you've enjoyed the show and we will be back very soon with more. But here... Is Jeff Beck and Tally Man. <laughs>